Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Jennifer Brown, welcome back to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. How are you doing? Oh, I'm so good. I'm a couple of weeks out uh, from launch, book launch. So you know what? I, it's not my first rodeo, but it is definitely intense. <laughs> Glad to have you back here to talk about how to be an inclusive leader, your role in creating cultures of belonging where everyone can thrive. You've been out talking about this for, for so long, not just since the book launch, and you've been out in front of so many different groups, in front of so many different organizations. What are the, the emerging issues? What are some of the trends that you're seeing? Because while this has been an issue forever, um, this is something that has the attention, I think, of the corporate world and a lot of people, places in society. What are you hearing? That's right. Thanks, Chad. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the reason why I wanted to rewrite the first edition of How to Be an Inclusive Leader, because I wrote it in 2018, really, because it came out in 2019. And wow, those those were the before times, weren't they? In so many ways, we got a crash course in empathy, in disruption, in not having a script and a playbook in 2020 in so many ways. And um, particularly, obviously, the racial reckoning, the 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 level of truth telling and absorbing of information that a lot of us did in 2020, I think, changed a lot of us. And I hope it did. It should have, um, or you were living under a rock. Um, but it changed us in in wonderful ways, ways that have enabled this conversation. Uh, I think they've we have unleashed new understanding, new empathy, new awareness. I hope new courage uh, amongst a lot of humans out there uh, that that have you know begun to push on systems, have begun to look critically at themselves in the systems that we inhabit, and really evaluate you know where am I? What is my diversity story? What is my exposure to this topic? But also, who do, what do I not yet know? What do I need to understand? How do I need to act? Do I need to do more? Um, all of those, that that's really a sweet spot that we find ourselves in, I think, two years after the murder of George Floyd, for example, is I'm getting a lot of questions about, okay, I, I, I get it. I understand why this is important. I want to roll up my sleeves. I want to do more. And, and that brings with it its own challenges, which is where I'm frankly living these days. When you think about... Uh an inclusive leader for, for our listeners that are, that are still understanding or beginning to understand the needs and the things that they can do differently. What differentiates, what sets apart an inclusive leader from other leaders? Well, first of all, we, we can aspire to be that, but I think it's in the eyes and and the experiences of the beholder. So inclusive leaders are appreciated 
by others and they they hit the mark that they intend to hit. <laughs> they know what to say, how to say it, whom to say it to, how to support, how to guide and lead and be alongside and where to kind of situate themselves in this system that we, I think, all agree doesn't work for so many of us. And and because the modern workplace was not built by and for all of us to succeed and to thrive, because we, and I'll say we sort of most broadly defined, were not at that table when that workforce was built. And therefore, there were so many biases kind of baked into the systems. And so, you know, assuming that that is true, um, the, the inclusive leader shows up in that system and begins to look more objectively at where where do they inhabit in that system and what works for them and what doesn't work for them. You know, where are we simultaneously outsiders and insiders? I'll, I'll say I'm, I'm LGBTQ myself, and that has been a major experience of outsider status, but I'm also an insider in so many ways, other other things that that allow me to enter spaces and be believed and be heard and be safer and be more comfortable and be given the benefit of the doubt and to be listened to differently. So if I think if we can courageously look at these things, let all of these things be true, the inclusive leader looks critically at themselves, at the system that they're in, what works better, what doesn't work for them, and figures out how do I use my voice here with humility with empathy, uh, with transparency, with uh, resilience. Um, inclusive leaders are also really re- resilient because this is difficult work. It's incredible work. It's transformative work. But it will also, if you're not super uh, sort of uh, hyper aware of yourself, your ego, the ways that we deal with our perfectionism, the ways that we deal with not knowing, you know, inclusive leadership is the not knowing. It's the living in the not knowing. And it is asking beautiful questions and not necessarily solving or knowing the answers. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm describing this, this, this mythical leader. I mean, I know people like this, so I'm not just, you know, making this up. This is, right. this is doable. This is achievable, but it is a muscle we need to exercise every day for our own evolution and our own transformation. And it's such a, so, so it's like not even just worthy. It's, it's transformative. And rather than being scared, rather than being afraid or unable to move because we don't know what the result is going to be, that that is exactly the point. And I think that is the core competency of successful leaders going forward. There's a lot to, to, to discuss about that, that muscle memory of kind of developing a lot of these traits and skills. And so that's always the goal of the Leader Chat podcast is how can our listeners be better? How can they improve themselves? So you talk about leadership traits, you talk about humility, empathy, vulnerability, resilience. Mm-hmm. So a couple of different things, you know, one is how do you go about flexing those muscles or building those muscles and, and, you know, why are those in particular so important to what your research has shown? Yeah. Well, they are, they are competencies that have not been encouraged, supported, measured, trained on. (laughs) They have been, I think they've been absent from the way that we think about excellence in performance. So we just don't have the infrastructure around them. And yet I believe that they are literally within the top five, eight, 10 of what we're going to need going forward. Uh, we've always needed them. And, and maybe we have exhibited them 
but it's been very ad hoc. It's dependent on the individual and who they are, what their personality is, what their life experience has been, right? Whether they bring those things to the table and lead in an inclusive way heretofore has been very accidental, ad hoc, uh, comes down to the individual. So the point is to me, as somebody who studies organizational change is how do we scale this? How do we bake this into the DNA of every day? How do we as individuals do this? And how does the system and the org do it? And those are two different lenses on the problem. You know, the individual, you know, has to take that deep dive into the soul, you know, I think to say, you know, who do I want to be? What do I want my legacy to be? How do I want other people to experience me? And, and, and fundamentally, I think the thing we've got to, got to really come to terms with is what got us here won't get us there to quote Marshall Goldsmith. It's, you know, what I, what has worked for me, what has been my, the thing I'm known for, maybe it's the thing I've been rewarded for, the thing that has been recognized in my organization and in leadership in general is no longer enough. And in fact, uh, if I don't develop these other things, I'm not going to be as successful of a leader. And then the organization needs to really meet that individual as that individual challenges him or herself or themselves to change, to grow, to show up differently. I think the organization has to then scaffold that behavior change with uh, the definition of what that looks like. Um, what is What does uh, showing this successfully look like? According to whom? Because I keep coming back to that, Chad, because you know, we, we throw around this word allyship a lot, which is such a critical piece of inclusive leadership, but you're only an ally if someone in an affected community calls you an ally. Mm. So it's in the eye of the beholder. And so organizationally, as somebody who kind of studies systems of measurement and how do we incentivize and encourage behavior change, how do we really capture how somebody is being experienced? Because if we just come to self-report, you know, I might pat myself on the back and say, of course I do this. Of course I do that. You know, but I, my job these days is to say, okay, is that enough? Who knows about it? How, what we think might be enough and what we want kudos and recognition for and to put the badge on, um, it, it may not be shifting systems and really effective leaders are challenging the systems that we're in. You know, we're the ones that ask the hard questions. We're the ones that hold ourselves accountable and and, and have a, a very accurate, if painful, view of how we are really having impact, not just our intent. That is the discipline of how we need to look at ourselves, how we need to build the systems to support the individual in the system to change. You know, and so I, I how do we measure these competencies? And according to whom? I think that's what it really comes down to. And then how do we reward that? How do we track it over time? How do we support and train uh, leaders to inhabit new competencies? And then how do we have a lot of grace for the stumbling forward into a new language, into a new way of being and showing up that, by the way, feels incredibly uncertain, scary. I mean, I might say terrifying. Mm. Um, and I, the, this is where I'm encountering leaders every day these days is I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to hurt people. I, um, I, I believe in this, but I don't know how to begin. And I, I think that we have to begin anywhere and begin to practice and know that it's going to show up imperfectly, that we're going to get feedback and that accepting that with grace and resilience to bounce back. And uh, our only job is to listen, take it in, tweak and try again. Let's talk about privilege. That word 
if you're on social media, you can see it, it, uh, it can garner a lot of emotions with certain, with some people. Um, and it's something that is more and more, I think, you know, when you have it, you don't always understand you have it. So it seems like a brand new thing that just got, just got brought to the forefront. So mm. when you look through all the ways that, that uh, privilege has come up and, and letting people understand it, I, what I like about it in, in the book, it's not so much about, you know, don't, we don't want to punish people because they have this newfound recognition that they have a privilege, but just to let them know that it's there so they can make some adjustments. How do, how do you kind of frame privilege and how do you help people understand it as a, it's, it's, it's good to understand because you can be better. How do you, how do you okay. make people see it in a different light? Yeah, that's so important, Chad. I mean, if I had to pick one thing and we put a ton of new content on this um, in the second edition, uh, so it has been, our assumption has been that some people have it and some people don't, which is not true. Uh, I've reckoned with this as somebody who identified in the, in a marginalized community or two, um, for so many years that, and that still is such a big part of me, but the other parts of me, I would never talk about, I would never talk about the, the, the tremendous advantages that I had growing up. Um, and the ways I've navigated this world with this like plush carpet underneath me, you know, I, I think of them as tailwinds. They're very silent and we aren't aware of them. You're right. We are not aware of how the environment supports us in these invisible ways. And this is critical to understand. And, but I, I can promise everyone who's listening to this and saying, oh, how am I ever going to be able to step outside of that and see it? Just deciding to start to do that. It will begin to unravel. It will begin to come together and, and, and become clearer. And once you begin to sensitize yourself to how you walk through the world, the experience, you start to listen to the experiences of others and how they walk through the world and how exactly the same thing can be, can happen with two extremely different reactions and impacts on people. You be, once you begin to listen for that, I, I promise there will be examples everywhere. And I think what we need to normalize or what I prefer to say is usualize, because I like that word, it's a little more inclusive, um, usualize how we we talk about that more openly. And um, many leaders will say to me, Jennifer, I'm so privileged, I just have no idea, A, I'm never going to understand what somebody else is experiencing. And, and I can see them and in their body language, I'm never going to do this, I'm never going to get this right, I can't even try, I'm not going to try. That's the energy. And I think we've missed a real opportunity to redefine privilege simply as those tailwinds, both in our in our inborn identity, right? It might be the color of my skin. It might be the way I express my gender. It might be tall privilege. You know, it might be, um, you know, where I went to school and, and sort of the automatic ins that I have as a result of that. It could be that. It can also be, though, the earned privileges and the privileges of circumstance, like, how powerful am I in a given institution? Do I have tenure here? Do I have um, the the caps professional capital to lean on people and make things happen? Or you know, I you know, one email can make you know change the trajectory of somebody's career because of the people that I know or the way that I share whatever power I have. That is something that is very doable tomorrow. It's literally available to us. And I think um, privilege and advantage is about power at the end of the day. It's the power in a system. And whether it's good or bad or how we got here or whatever, we could spend eons kind of unpacking that. And that is really important to unpack. But more very urgent to me 
is how are we in organizations today sharing power so that we can make our organizations more representative of the world that we live in? How can we lift others up and create more opportunity around us? And in doing that, how how will we be expanded? Because this is not just, oh, I'm extending power and there's less for me. There's actually more for us you know, at the end of this rainbow, (laughs) but I have a hard time, Chad, kind of convincing people about that because it's hard to vouch for something that people have never, they've never walked the path of it. They've never opened up all these doors and seen what I see and, and what I get to see every single day. And also to know leaders that are on the other side of this, you know, that have, that have kind of grabbed onto this and made it part of their leadership and, and how they are different humans for doing that. You know, they, show up differently. They're experienced differently. They get the gratitude from people. They get the, they have the partnerships of and friendships with people across difference that they never, they never thought they would have in their professional life. And they are changed. And they, I would argue they are more advanced in their journey because they're able to lead now across difference. And so I just, I, I want to encourage everybody to We all, each of us, however we identify, has levels of privilege and advantage we can be activating. And if we can focus on that, it seems to take the sting out of all of this for a moment. It feels very action-oriented. It feels that it's not about guilt and shame and, and a lot of the things that we need to feel, but that we really can't live in every day. Uh, because it will kind of short circuit our ability to be helpful. And really, there are so many people that need us to be helpful right away. If you've enjoyed this podcast and are interested in bringing these concepts into your company, check out Blanchard's new Courageous Inclusion program. It's based on the concepts Jennifer introduced in her book, How to Be an Inclusive Leader. Courageous inclusion helps people cultivate a mindset that promotes diversity and inclusion and teaches participants a process to become more knowledgeable and active proponents of inclusion in their workplace. Visit kinblanchard.com forward slash solutions forward slash DEI to learn more. Jennifer, you talk, uh, you mentioned like kind of the end of the rainbow. So kind of like the desired state. There is a lot of resistance though. So how do you rectify that and how, what steps need to be taken? So some of that resistance, and there's a lot of it for Mm. for many different reasons. Mm -hmm. How do you address that? (laughs) There is a lot of resistance. Yeah. Oh goodness. I could tell you stories. Uh, I I describe sometimes some of the executive meetings that I'm in feel like I'm wrestling with alligators. Um, (laughs) uh, it, it, It requires every part of my many years in this work to like stay calm, to stay kind, to stay gracious, to stay in the mode of what's behind this resistance that I'm hearing, or that might be derailing the conversation or might be derailing an entire group, honestly, from making progress. Because what happens in rooms like that is the resistance takes over, you know, and it makes everybody feel kind of hopeless about this and discouraged. Um, resistance can come from leaders, the most senior person in the room, which is a really difficult alligator to wrestle, I'll say, uh, because without a really strong leader in this work, it's very difficult for any of us to do our job. Um, but the resistance can take a lot of forms. Uh, it can be very benign, I'd say, which might be the, oh, 
I'm a good person. I believe in this, or, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm, um, I have good intentions. You know, I, I have a lot of compassion. That's wonderful. And who we are matters, but what we do matters more. So while that's maybe a benign kind of resistance, I think it is an opting out kind of resistance, right? It's a, it's, I'm going to sit on the sidelines and let other people do this. I'm going to let other people carry the water for this. And I think that is a form of resistance. And then there's more, more noisy resistance, right? There's the meritocracy argument, you know, and I think each one of these things that I describe, we as change agents need to tackle it differently. Um, I think we've got to meet people where they're at and get underneath what the source is of the resistance in order to shift it. And so that requires sometimes it's one-on-one conversations. Some, you know, sometimes it is. So why do you believe that? Okay, so you know, how has that enabled you to be successful? Okay, so as things are changing, do you think that will be a helpful strategy to continue to employ? You know, it's supplying people with whether it's information that they don't know there's a problem. Maybe they disagree from a values perspective that this is important. They may disagree with other people's experience. Um, So it depends kind of on, as a learner, if you're meeting people where they're at, what do they need most to shift? And that's the question I carry every moment with me, because even in in a room full of 15 execs, they will all be in different places. And, you know, in my inclusive leader continuum, which has four phases in the book, it's helpful because it allows me to diagnose a room of people and say, okay, so we've got some resistance over here. We've got folks who don't know there's a problem, but are open to learning. There's people who know there's a problem, but are don't know how to engage. There are people who are engaging, but but feeling, you know, either imposter syndrome or feeling extremely awkward and concerned about how they're showing up, but they're trying. And then there are the people who have been doing this forever and are just are are tired of being the only one that's kind of pushing the boulder uphill. And what I just described is five different levels of learners. I mean, and there's so many more within that. So, you know, resistance, resistance to what, you know, maybe resistant people may already be doing a lot, but they need to do more. And and the resistance may be, maybe fear and maybe not having the language and needing some confidence and needing someone to really appreciate the, the efforts that have gone into where they are and to help hold some space for that next step that they need to take. I find leaders will be doing a lot of this stuff privately. And sometimes that next step is to be more public about their inclusive leadership. And so the resistance may be, I'm I'm afraid about how that's going to go because I, I peop, leaders that look like me say I'm a white straight male, I'm not well received when I try to step forward. and. So that that's a very valid and fair point to be stuck in. And, you know, I love kind of troubleshooting that with people and and helping them imagine what is doable that is not terribly risky, like jumping into the deep end of the pool and never having taken a swimming lesson. But what is it? What is one action we can take to move into the uncomfortable, but the doable? And that's where I would like my learners to live and grow in. One of the many aspects of the book that I really enjoy, especially on the second reading, is the vulnerability that you've shared. So we've talked about kind of 
where there's faults in people, you know, we can kind of say it that way. And we need to kind of kind of get better and, and work on this and be aware, you know, awareness is such a beautiful tool. Talk about your journey along the way to where you are today. So then you've had some bumps in the road and, and, mm-hmm. and to where you're out speaking on it. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got here. Yeah. Well, I can really relate to my learners. You know, I was extremely privileged, as I mentioned earlier. And, uh, and, and it sort of was a big wake up call for me to feel, you know, so empowered as, as somebody who was discovering my voice as an out person and, and the many, many year journey that I took with that. And um, that built so much resilience in me. Um, but I didn't, I don't think I was aware of, I sort of put myself in the camp of all LGBTQ people because sometimes when we're awakening to our own diversity story, we find this incredible community. And um, and that's been transformative for me and such a place of belonging for me and feeling seen and heard. But then the awakening, the more mature me is able to realize the privilege, the privilege dynamics within each community of, of identity. <laughs> you know, it literally it it's happening and it's a dynamic and it's a problem in communities that should know better. And so as I have matured and begin to look critically at the way we talk about gender, for example, the way we talk about LGBTQ, who is not represented in the way that we speak about these identities? And big aha moment for me, um, I, I suppose the Women's March of 2017 was a, a pillar moment, you know, crucible moment for so many, I think, white women. <laughs> and uh, now we can look at that and unpack it and say, who didn't feel comfortable marching? Who didn't feel that 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 the, the the themes that we were marching for were representative of their experience? And the answer to that is is intersectionality, is different ethnicities and identities of women within the bucket of women. And the reason I try to teach on intersectionality and try to use myself as sharing a few intersectional identities, but also these other identities of privilege in terms of how I grew up and what I have access to today, uh, it's so important to, again, identify ourselves within a system, acknowledge the flaws in that system. And nobody can escape this work. You know, nobody can let themselves off the hook. (laughs) So even if you've had a certain lived experience, you know, I I could run you through, you know, 10 different identities and ask you about each and say, what do you know about this identity that you don't carry? And and what are sort of the microaggressions here? What are the experiences that are had? What are the, what does the data tell us about the uh, struggles that different communities have and, and how much that inclusive leader however we identify, needs to be fluent to a degree, as much as we possibly can, fluent in other lived experiences, not having experienced them, but being fluent in them. And that's different, you know, and then people get a so, they sort of throw their hands up and they say, Jennifer, I'm just never going to be no, being able to take all this in. I'm just never going to be able to learn it, you know, and they give up before they even start. And um, I consider it so exciting to learn about what allyship might look like from me to different communities of identity that I don't hold. That is my own growth. You know, that is, is extremely um, um, interesting, compelling, transformative, uh, upsetting, <laughs> I'll say, because as I hear these stories about experiences that I don't have to endure, I take that with me forever 
forever. And it's something that I will storytell about. It's something I will employ. It's something, if I'm the only one in the room that knows that that's true, my job is to bring that into the room. So uh, long answer, Chad, but I think my own journey of of humility to everything that I don't know, even though I do this work, um, it doesn't make me want to give up. It, 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 it excites me. It incentivizes me. It stimulates me. It's, um, it, it, it sort of challenges me, honestly, to look very objectively at where I am and where I need to go. Um, and then it, 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 I have so much empathy for other learners because yeah. I see my own journey in them and they may be not where I am, but I want there to be a, a container around each learner yeah. so that they can take the right next step, never being shamed for not getting it quite right, but being held by others that are on their journeys as well. I mean, that that's the nirvana that I, that I try to encourage. It's, it's such incredibly important work. You're it, uh, it's so insightful, the, the way you bring it to, to light and, and the lessons that you're kind of, you're sharing here. And I so appreciate it. If, if, if our readers could kind of take away one thing from our conversation today, what would you want them to to learn and to understand? My favorite thing to say is if you're not uncomfortable, you're not leading. So think about that as you ponder your your excavation of yourself, your journey, what you know about diversity, your all of the aspects of the puzzle pieces of your identity and challenging ourselves to get comfortable being uncomfortable, working that growth edge is where we're going to grow, evolve, transform. And um, we need to seek that discomfort. We need to go towards that because that's where the growth happens. And that's where the transformation lives. Um, If we keep doing the same old thing, I can promise you that as leaders, you will become irrelevant. And in fact, you may already be missing the mark if you are not investigating all the things that we've been talking about. So I don't want anyone, I don't want to leave anyone behind. I I don't think we can afford to do that. And uh, so I invite everybody to think about the, where am I uncomfortable? What does that tell me about myself, where I am in my journey? What do I need to more learn and take in and take on board, but also who can support me as I get uncomfortable, that's so important too, because this is a, a team endeavor. It's it's an endeavor that's best taken together. And uh, I'd like to see that support and that space holding can happen in a 360 degree way, in a very beautiful way. I think if we marshal a community around us of both like identity and cross identity to us and build tr- enough trust there where when we get uncomfortable, we're supported to learn the right things and to continue to seek that next step. Jennifer Brown, author of How to Be an Inclusive Leader. Jennifer, thank you for this. If people wanted to dig a little bit deeper into you, learn a little bit more beyond picking up this wonderful book, where would you send them? Oh, thanks so much. Uh, So the book is How to Be an Inclusive Leader, second edition. Uh, you can email us if you have consulting needs in your organization or want a great keynoter or speaker at info at jenniferbrownconsulting.com. You can read up on me and the book on jenniferbrownspeaks.com and Instagram is at jenniferbrownspeaks. Twitter is at jenniferbrown. And we're obviously on LinkedIn, Facebook, all the other socials. 
Um, and please, uh, please join our communities and get involved. There's much, much, much learning to be done, but we can certainly make it easier and accelerate your journey alongside you. Jennifer Brown, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or wherever you're listening. And please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. Thanks, Chad, for your fascinating interview with Jennifer Brown. Her whole concept of inclusive leadership is amazing, and it really starts with you uh, sharing where you come from and what's your background and all, so people feel comfortable coming out and sharing who they are, because together you can really create something really special. So I uh, recommend you all listen to this recording, share it with others, but more uh, probably get the book and and go through it and and see what's there for you and the people that you work around, because being inclusive in a leadership role is so important today with the diversity out there And how do we bring everybody in so they feel part of the team? God bless. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks, Chad.